let the hogs out. Yeah, for now, we got to do our main story. Obviously, we're no fans of the police. And Dan, lead us off. We're about to lay into these motherfuckers. So I guess we're going to examine for ourselves because it's something I haven't dug enough into and I'm kind of interested in. So maybe by the end of this, we'll have a better understanding of like abolishing the police or seriously changing our the structure of how the this shit works because clearly it's like infected and I guess always has been. Yeah, I mean, as KRS-One elo- eloquently put it, the police are fucking descent. I'm paraphrasing, but the police are the descendants of slave catchers. They protect property, not people. And as we're going to go into, they are lethal and unrestrained. So I'm going to read a little bit because this story out of BuzzFeed News about the NYPD files that have been leaked to BuzzFeed that showed officers brutally beating people, lying. In one case, one touched a high schooler inappropriately. These files show that hundreds of officers who committed serious offenses, top-level offenses from lying to grand juries to physically attacking innocent people got to keep their jobs, their pensions, and their tremendous power over New Yorkers' lives. Yeah, one story that really stuck out to me was that guy Raymond Marrero. Like, of course, like, it's just, like these fucking dudes all live in, like, Staten Island, because Staten Island is, like, you know, cop-infested hell world. But he had been fucking convicted of, what, beating, false arrest, assault in a case where a civilian disrespected him, and he fabricated evidence. These are four separate counts, and he's still on the force and makes 120 k a year. And the reason that they're able to do this is because they receive this thing called dismissal probation, as the BuzzFeed piece revealed. So here's a passage. Many of the officers lied, cheated, stole, or assaulted New York City residents. At least 50 employees lied on official reports, under oath, or during an internal affairs investigation. 38 were found guilty by a police tribunal of excessive force getting into a fight or firing their gun unnecessarily. 57 were guilty of DUI, 71 guilty of ticket fixing, one officer, Jarrett Dill, threatened to kill someone, another, Robertson Tunis, sexually harassed and inappropriately touched a fellow officer. Some were guilty of lesser offenses, like mouthing off to a supervisor. At least two dozen of these employees worked in schools. Andrew Bailey was found guilty of touching a female student on the thigh and kissing her on the cheek while she was sitting in his car in a school parking lot while he was supposed to be on duty lester robinson kissed a woman removed her shirt and began to remove his pants and juan garcia while off duty illegally sold prescription medication to an undercover officer in every instance the commissioner who has the final authority in disciplinary decisions assigned them to this dismissal probation which is a penalty with few practical long-term consequences the officers continue to do their job at their usual salary, they may get less overtime and won't be promoted during that period, which usually lasts a year. When the year is over, so is the probation. Yeah, you basically do the sign of the cross and you're done. 
It's pretty fucked up. It's a slap on the wrist. Yeah. And then they they went into detail. This BuzzFeed article is great, and I think that BuzzFeed has been doing a great job of like turning itself into a more of a serious news organization, like bringing like really breaking stories. This kind of reminds me of the Guardians database that it did in 2015 and 2016 of people who were murdered by police, which was groundbreaking at the time. And it did a lot of work showing how the Patrolmen's Benevolent Association has been lobbying to keep records of police brutality and other offenses secret the legal aid society which is the largest pub de- public defender organization in the country made a public request in 2016 for the outcomes of these of like these disciplinary trials we've been talking about and they were previously apparently public on a clipboard on the 13th floor of NYPD HQ which is the most fucking police thing i can think of but then once they started looking for it, the clipboard disappeared. And now Legal Aid is actually having to sue for these records, which were previous, are supposed to be public. But it's so heinous. Think of what difference it would make if this information had been available. Think of how that could change a case. It could prevent someone from being jailed under false pretenses. In one passage, it talks about, like, false accusations from an officer can be enough to send an innocent person to prison. Earlier this year, for example, a Queens detective was convicted of fabricating drug evidence that sent an innocent man to jail for 52 days. And then in Brooklyn, former homicide detective has tampered evidence that led district attorneys to review more than 40 cases. So this is like widespread shit. And the fact that these guys get to keep working, it's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. They also brought up one case that was really distinctive to me where the person didn't get to keep their job. The person got fired. This guy, Damon Porter, he actually joined other Latino officers in a class action lawsuit alleging basically the racialized weaponization of discipline standards in the NYPD. What I mean by that is the idea that they would overly discipline Latino officers as opposed to white officers. And apparently he was literally fired and then deprived of a pension, even though he was one year shy of retirement age, which I think they said it would have been like 10 grand a year. So depriving him of a serious amount of income and the commissioner that fired him and did not give him the dismissal probation that like all these other cops who did way more heinous shit were doing. That guy got Ray Marrero's case nine months later. He was the guy who assaulted a person who disrespected him. He gave that guy dismissal probation and was like, that's fine. But it just goes to show how it's a self-preservation organization. It's built to perpetuate the same kind of world that fucking back in the day slave catchers wanted to What do they call it? Ticket? Ticket, what was the term? Like, uh, falsifying tickets? Ticket fixing. Right. Why do they do it? Ferguson got a lot of coverage after the Michael Brown thing for something specific, which was that people get a shitload of municipal violations around there. And that was something that I remembered from living in New Orleans, where they literally have, like, debtor's prison. If you're accused of a crime in New Orleans, you can end up in prison just because you can't afford to, if you can't afford to pay, like, a lawyer to argue that you're innocent. So it can ruin your life. It's really, like, a kleptocratic thing. If you make something that everyone does illegal or you just arbitrarily write tickets, you're basically creating, like, a racket for yourself. So I think it just goes to show how these like cops are gangsters they do it to print money for themselves and the result is that they can ruin people's lives and it's weird how we have this kind of agreement that oh it's the end of the month they're gonna be really ticketing <laughs> yeah. hard and that's just that's just accepted do you, do you remember the palisades parkway in 
It's in New Jersey, and part of it is in New York. Yeah, it was like a 40 mile per hour. It's 50 miles per hour, and it has its own police force. It's a, it's like a, not even a commuter highway. It's, even though people use it for commutes nowadays, I think it was originally designed as like a lazy Sunday drive kind of highway. It's two lanes, but it's 50 miles per hour, and it has its own police force. They pull you over constantly for anything, and everyone speeds on there, so they just have a constant source of revenue, and everyone accepts it as like kind of a racket. I feel like it's infamous. Amongst, at least amongst people I rolled with. The idea of people who would fabricate evidence staying on, you know, in their jobs is so irritating, especially when you consider, obviously, defense lawyers have to encourage a plea deal in that situation because juries, especially if uh, the person's convicted, juries will take the side of the cop over that of a defendant. Yeah. And statewide, here, oh, here's a, here's a stat. More than 98% of people charged with felonies that resulted convictions plead guilty rather than go to trial. <laughs> and so that happening with cops who are fabricating shit, it happens all the time. And I don't know, this BuzzFeed story definitely blew the lid off of a bunch of names. And the writers of the piece, Kendall Taggart and Mike Hayes, have said that they're going to, over the next few months, be building a database on the website so that the information about all these cops who still have their jobs is available for public defenders in New York to use. And this information is crucial because it also highlights how much you kind of don't know and isn't revealed in this. Like, think of... Oh, and not just public defenders, but defense attorneys. Yeah, but think of how many violations and evil shit the cops have done off the record that has been... This is only the stuff they got caught doing, right? If you see this pattern Oh, this of is violence, a selection of leaked... This is a selection of leaked documents from someone who works there. It's not... Obviously, this scratches the surface, I'm sure. It scratches the surface, but it does... But that's all you can really do, even in, like when you have like that good of a source. It reminds me of how the Guardian found, through its reporting, that police killings were underreported by... A, in the U.S., at least on a national level, by 50% on average in between 2015 and 2016. In some states, like Oklahoma, it was ridiculous. Like almost 100% were not reported. I don't even know how they would – I mean, it's, it's preposterous. So I think it's so crucial to get this information because we have to consider that our cops are different from the world's cops in a very specific way. Our cops have fucking guns. And there's we another thing we need to talk about is like the case to you know at least disarm the police before if we can't abolish them right away. Well, this court's article included a great quote from criminologist Paul Takagi in 1974. He said, "Black people have been killed by the police at a tragically disproportionate rate beyond the bounds of anything that would justify it. Perhaps the only immediate solution at this time is to disarm the police." Now. It sounds like something out of another world, but in reality, it's not that crazy of a proposition. Now, there is a broad consensus that we need to demilitarize our police, especially after we all watched cable news after Ferguson, the shooting of Michael Brown led to this like insane level of militarized police combating protesters. What can we say about police not being armed in our country is that something i'm not even saying is it something that can happen anytime soon but is it something that you think a mass consensus could be achieved for as far as a mass consensus goes i think it would obviously at the moment at the time in the time being it would not be feasible but i think that hearts and minds are starting to change uh as there's a more serious critique of gun culture in the u.s that takes and isn't just focused on gun control which has its problems and more is 
uh, holistic, like the case for disarming this country also needs to include disarming the police. And I think that you can get in the door with things that prohibit the police from having certain kinds of guns and just kind of roll it back. As we start to see more electoral political gains, I think that becomes a possibility. Just basic rules that defund or at least reduce the funding to police or provide incentives to disarm especially in i feel like it would be more of a slam dunk in places that are not violent or don't have a very low rate of crime i think that a lot of like suburban people suburban liberals are going to start to come around to the idea that it's freakish to have like people wielding death sticks in your neighborhood like if you if you pay so much to live in some bit you know some bullshit like westport connecticut or some other suburb and then your your police have tanks. Like, are you really safe? Do you feel safe? I feel like there's a way to change hearts and minds around. There's a way to have a diversity of tactics about this. Stats from the FBI suggest that of the 27 law enforcement officers murdered in 2013 in the line of duty, only six were able to fire their weapons at assailants. Another two were killed after their firearms were stolen and used against them. And this statistic pales in comparison to the number of people shot and killed by the police in that year, which was 461. That sounds normal. It's almost as if it's like a killing force. Yeah, I think people are going to start to become more uncomfortable with these like roving death squads in our fucking country, hopefully. But that course article has a lot of good statistics about not just the U.S., but how it compares to other countries. I thought talking about Iceland was really weird. They have 33% gun ownership. Granted, they have a tiny population in Iceland, but the police don't carry guns there, and public trust in the police is over 80% in the polls. I mean, obviously, it's a homogenous white country, but it was just kind of a trip to imagine that situation when you think of, like, the terrible statistics of our own police force in the U.S. Yeah, it's the idea, I guess, of de-escalation that's widely accepted. Yeah, I think the idea of detente is a good way to... I mean, obviously, detente implies two equal forces kind of lowering their arms, whereas we're kind of just hoping that the state lowers its arms against just average people. But if you put it to a vote today, do you want the cops to not have guns anymore, like, nationwide? Obviously, people are going to rail against that, and then the NRA will finally, like, secede from multicultural America and just become, like, a white supremacist island in the middle of Fairfax, Virginia. Well, we seem to be getting closer to that, given the... Amounts that the gun control debate has remained in our national conscience. Perhaps the psychological impact of disarming the police could be positive on the society at large, and that includes the police, because, as one expert put it, U.S. police wearing their gun all the time has an important ideological effect. It makes police feel like they are never civilians, never normal people, that they're always cops, and that they're never safe without a gun. I don't think that's the most productive frame of mind for civilians who are charged with keeping our cities safe and calm. Yeah, not to mention the impact it has on, you know, you hear this argument all the time, like, oh, the U.S. has so many guns in it that we need the cops to have guns to keep up. But then you're in this arms race and it becomes an issue of like, would certain communities have so many guns if they weren't terrified of the police doing some shit like they did in Philadelphia where they literally like bombed an apartment block? Like, would they be stockpiling weapons if they didn't have to fight this overwhelming force of guns that is like not just the police, but the U.S. state? 
which we could also extend to include like ICE and CBP. Also, I guess it is interesting how it's always about giving the police more and more shit and investing more and more in these things like the expensive tasers and these always filming body cameras. Like it's never about like taking stuff away. It's always about just giving them more toys. Yeah, that's true. Or like the green light shit that we talked about in Detroit and I think what the thing with the police is that they have a psychological hold on us. They're able to, like, make you so fucking scared of yourselves in a way. Because I feel like, in a way, they are so formidable and intimidating. Like, when I see the, like, NYPD, you know, fucking with, like, homeless people or doing whatever they do, they always just look, like, strapped and, like, impervious to shit. It seems... I mean, we have to remember that cops are fucking class traitors and... I think when you talk about how they get a lot of toys, like you said, they get the fucking every Christmas they're getting the if even people who are against the police are like, we should give them body cameras and tasers and shit. Then I think you start to realize that they're class traders because the elite rich people, money, capital, whatever, have to buy their fucking trust because if they didn't buy the trust of these police workers who even though they get i think a lot of cops do get paid well paid a lot of them don't like in new orleans cops made like 35 grand a year and honestly like i think if they if they didn't buy them off in this way then their position would be much more tenuous like the turning point in the russian revolution was when they couldn't control the army anymore you know right and you attach this jacobin article when will they shoot I thought this was kind of interesting. Their main contention with this was cops are really not in as much danger as they say they are. Because I've seen these statistics and it suggests that cops aren't even in the top 10 most dangerous jobs. Yeah, these statistics are from the Bureau of Labor Statistics' Census of Fatal Occupational Injuries. And 2012 data reports that for the number of fatal occupational injuries, we're getting legalese here, sorry folks, per 100,000 full-time equivalent workers, so the amount of cops who died per 100,000 of their, you know, relatable class, it was 15. So when you compare that to some other numbers, it makes their claims that they're, obviously like certain cops who are forced to work in like, really dangerous neighborhoods and stuff are up against a lot and they are just fucking people caught in a crossfire even though they obviously get a lot more privileges based on their position than someone else who's in that crossfire but some of these other occupations that are more fucking lethal like there are ones that you would expect like logging workers and fishers you know we've all seen deadliest catch we know that's lethal but roofers uh refuse and recyclable material collectors you're twice as likely to die on the job if you collect recyclable material you're more likely to die if you're a driver slash sales worker so i i don't know what that i think that could mean almost anything it also includes truck drivers if you're a power line installer if you're a farmer if you're a construction even if you're a taxi driver you're at more risk than a cop and like we said before, the cops have a shield of protection. And I'm not saying that cop, more cops need to die on the job, but this is good to have in mind. When you think of these, like, Republican wasteland images of just, like... The Blue Lives Matter shit! Yeah, this idea that, like, sh- you know, they, they always bring up Chicago, and they're like, you're gonna be... Sh- the Sebastian Gorka, like spewing like black Africans are killing themselves by the bushel and stuff like that. It's such a fabrication and it's something that you're kind of, I feel like brought up in this country to see that job as like 
an, an ascendant bravery. It's like something that's so like special and like, you know, the cop is the person in the community who keeps it, you know, keeps watch over everyone. And it's the glue in the community. But like in reality, it's for most, it's not something that brings any sort of comfort. Yeah, I, I don't know that many people anymore who are thankful when the cops show up. And I mean, it, it, people say that this cause comes from the stories you hear in the media, but frequently, like, that Jacobin Magazine article also goes into how lethal it is to be around cops. We've seen some fucking ridiculous situations where they honestly make things worse, right? You heard about that case in, of the behavioral therapist in Florida who he had a client who I think was on the spectrum. He like got out of the facility. And so this behavioral therapist was trying to get him back in and someone called the cops because they heard the disturbance. And he was lying on his back with his hands and feet in the air. And the cops shot him in the leg. I did see that. It was awful. The video is uh, disturbing. There was also the case of Charlena Lyles, who is like a black woman who called the cops. She was the one who called the cops. She was pregnant and they shot up and killed her. No one knows why. Like, why did they show up and start shooting people? You're supposed to be de-escalating these situations. I also remember hearing about this case where an Afghanistan veteran was involved in an altercation with a guy who was wielding a gun. But the guy who, was, who did time in Afghanistan where fucking everyone has a gun on the street there. You can't just shoot them down. He just read the guy's body language from his experience. It was like, that guy's not going to shoot me. And it turned out the gun wasn't loaded. But it didn't matter because when his reinforcement showed up, they killed the guy who was waving the gun and then they disciplined the afghanistan veteran for not killing the guy and for and supposedly endangering other police so this gets, just goes to show the kind of culture you engender when you have this, this like you, you know the idea that like police need to be lethal and fucking act with impunity all the time right and this impunity is i think one of the main reasons why the public doesn't trust them and I mean, I live in New York City, and you can definitely feel the tension here at every fucking turn. Like, I've seen situations where people whip their phones out to film an altercation with the cop, and it wasn't really in the vein of, like, a de-escalating thing. It was really, like, a bullying tone. Yeah, they, they always respond to that, to being filmed. Aren't these right-wing guys the guy, the people who are like, if you don't want to get searched, then maybe you shouldn't do anything wrong? Like, I don't know. To my thing on read on police who don't want to be filmed on the street, like maybe all right, then just don't do anything wrong. Like, also you're getting filmed anyway. There's all it's in New York. There's like 15 cameras on every intersection. Right, and we have this article from CityLimits.org, which I I think we attached it. We don't have to go through too many of the specifics, but. It gives a good case for abolishing the police in the context of the NYPD and like Bratton and Giuliani. The idea that broken windows policing is a failed concept that has been brought back even under the so-called progressive like de Blasio administration. He like rehired Bratton when he started to focus on broken windows policing, which is like this concept of policing when you police smaller crimes like selling Lucy's, like Eric Garner, that you will stop bigger crimes. But in reality, it just overwhelmingly impacts people of color and specifically like black men, I yeah, think. Yeah, it definitely falls disproportionately. So the argument is that the police are such a aggressive force that there's not really a difference no matter who the leader is. So there is like a way out of this, right? 
all it takes is passing a few laws, right? Yeah, I mean, like I said before, diversity of tactics is a way to get people to agree through, I guess, direct action and through electoral politics and all the other things. We can eventually kind of slowly loosen their grip on us. Not that we're going to be too incrementalist about it, but still, like, there is a way to do it. And I think you should follow a lot of just, you know, the people who are trying to make this a reality. The abolition of ICE. Like I mentioned before, abolishing the police is not just about your local community police. It's also these fucking vicious apparatuses that the Bush administration built in, specifically like ICE and CBP, DHS. Um, these were all created in the aftermath of 9-11. ICE is less, if you have like a younger sister or brother than, and you're around our age, then they're probably older than ICE is. It was created in like 2003, and it's just a fucking gang of toughs who are empowered to kick and beat people who are not considered people in this country, mainly people who are here on without papers. And how the Trumpian ice today, like Dan, how do you how do people how do like liberals describe Trump's ice? Like does it I think a lot of people think Trump like invented this like immigration crackdown right it's as if there weren't deportation forces under obama's reign and before exactly or even earlier than that i mean back in the first like overhaul of the immigration system that really focused on border spending was passed in 86 under reagan basically it's been like a, every 10 ish years they just say like we need to spend a lot more money on border security it's just a good i think it's a thing that like democrats can sell out over time to the right wing so we're just at this point where we see that they've created this like living hell for people who have any kind of immigration status in this country even unless even if they're here on you know if they're documented their people feel they would they'd be scared of running into ice for sure and let's quickly play the clip of progressive fucking hero kamala harris saying her piece about ice should ice exist should ice exist it will certainly when we're talking about people who have committed serious and violent crimes you know i mean chris you know my background i'm a prosecutor yep. i believe that there needs to be serious severe and swift consequence when people commit serious and violent crimes one human being kills another human being a woman is raped a child is molested there needs to be serious consequence and certainly if they are undocumented they should be deported if they commit those serious and violent offenses so yes ice has a purpose ice has a role ice should exist it's such fucking bullshit that people who fucking act all progressive could somehow think that this this like someone said it was a white nationalist goon yeah, squad it is it's a fascist force yeah they're the stormtroopers suggesting that it has a role is counter to saying what they're doing is wrong because this is what they do i mean i would extend that even to Kamala Harris, who was a pro federal prosecutor back in the day, and she even says that in that quote. And I think it's ridiculous the way that people, obviously she has some more of a progressive record relative to like other Democrats right now, at least recently, but there are people who genuinely think that this like identity essentialism, essentialism that people have, they're like, because she's got immigrants in her family and she's, you know, has this perspective, she's going to be good on immigration issues because of her identity. But I'm like, I don't know, like she, you can still believe the things she believes clearly. And she's done a lot. You don't have to act like you're surprised. Like it's kind of like in her fucking, you know history and that coupled with like joe kennedy saying that he is totally against decriminalizing and legalizing <laughs> marijuana because it made it easier to pull people over despicable like 
we don't need cops as like our alternatives to Trump in the next election. Like, <laughs> fuck these people. Yeah. As far as defunding ICE goes, there are some political candidates who are running for offices that are interested in it. There is Alexandria Ocasio or Cortez in New York, who is running for the 14th Congressional District. There's Kanyela Ng, candidate in Hawaii for House of Representatives. And then Siraj Patel, who's also in New York, running for the 12th Congressional District. So that's our segment about abolishing, disarming, and fuck the police. Smash them. Let's move forward 